So we've just been chatting to Father Anthony Egan, thinking about Pope Francis's pontificate, thinking about what he's done. And while we were listening to the music, one of the things that's been playing through my head was um, just touching back into some of those thoughts that Francis that Anthony was teasing out about Francis really returning to the spirit of the Second Vatican Council. And I can remember not long after Francis's um, election as Pope, I went back and read the uh, council document on bishops. And, you know, it's it's one of those things that I think uh, all Christians or Catholics should read once every now and then, Christus Dominus. Actually, I'll, I'll tell you the anecdote about why I read it. I had... Um, I didn't actually have a Catholic bishop with me. I had an Anglican bishop who I was taking on retreat. And I was just trying to get my head around, uh, he was wanting to think about his vocation as a bishop, and I was wanting to help him as a spiritual director just to think about, well, what is it that we're doing? And I found it really fruitful for myself and in my work with him to go back and read Christus Dominus, even though uh, the document doesn't uh, really apply to him directly. Nonetheless, I was struck by how fruitful he found reflecting on some of the passages. One of the images that comes out of um, Christus Dominus is a lovely quote in which uh, the council fathers and, uh, you know, and Paul VI, they talk about the bishop stands in the midst of his people as one who serves. It's a lovely quote from Christus Dominus. The bishop stands in the midst of his people as one who serves. And then it also, in the document, it talks about the responsibility of the bishop and it talks about the bishop has special responsibility to the clergy, to the religious in the diocese, to the lay faithful, to Christians of other denominations, to all those who believe in God, so all theists. And then it kind of goes on, and particularly... And this is, I think, really important when we're thinking about what Francis is saying to the world, to the poor and the marginalized. And, and we see that in Francis's understanding of what it is to be pontiff, in his understanding of what it is to be Bishop of Rome, that he has a special care to the poor and the marginalized. And it doesn't matter whether or not they're Catholic. It doesn't matter whether they're not or not they're Christian. We see him reaching out to the poor and the marginalized. And I think there is a real sense there that he also has taken on this uh, teaching of Christus Dominus is really living, living out that sense of what it is to be a bishop, what it is to to take responsibility for the lives of others. And it was it was in chatting with the Anglican bishop. I mean, one of the things he was talking about was a real sense of trust that in his ordination, the grace would be given to him to to meet the needs of leadership, to meet the needs um, of the church. And Robert Mickens was talking about uh, the moment before Francis came out onto the balcony, and apparently he has said to, to various people, including Mickens, that he stopped to pray in the chapel before he went out onto the balcony, and in that moment had a real sense of peace, and that that peace has not left him. And when I heard that, that resonated with me with what I had heard from this other bishop of a sense of at ordination he had sensed a gifting of the Holy Spirit to help him to deal with those elements. For him it was around administration, but those elements of administration that were difficult in his own diocese and that he had a greater capacity, a greater ability. And I think there's something there about trusting the movement of the Spirit 
that we see Francis trusting the movement of the Spirit in his own life, and that that is also for us an invitation to trust the movement of the Spirit in our life, in the situations of responsibility, in the situations of vocational work that we do. And that's maybe that, that kind of question for each of us to take. How am I called in whatever work that I do, in whatever vocation that I am in? You know, I think of myself, I, I have in my own life the vocation of mother, I have the vocation of director and teacher. All of those are part of who I am. How am I called in those different vocations to exercise the gifts of leadership that are inspired by the Spirit, how am I called to stand in the midst of the people that I serve as, as one who serves? And for each of us, that is the question we bring to our own lives and we bring to our country, to our situation, to our communities. So this morning we also have a, a lovely uh, new person who's on our team at the Jesuits Institute, Pamela, who's joined us. She's going to be helping us a little bit with marketing and with media. And one of the topics that's kind of close to her heart from some of the experiences that she's had with friends and people around her has been around the area of xenophobia. And she's written a piece for us for the Institute around some of her reflections on xenophobia and her reflections from a Christian point of view. So we're going to just have a little bit of a chat about that this morning and see where that goes. So, Pamela, welcome to Radio Veritas. Uh, thank you. Thanks for having me. And uh, no doubt you all, you're going to be on the show more than once because that hopefully is going to be what happens. So, so mm -hmm. why don't you talk a little bit about why you're passionate about thinking and writing about xenophobia? Um, uh, one of the main reasons that uh, kind of like interested me to the topic is uh, because me as a person, as South African, I have lots of uh, foreigner people that I know in my life. I have foreign friends. I have lived with them and I came to know them. They are really nice people and they are like really, I don't understand what has been going on in our country. Uh, us turning our backs into our brothers and sisters while we should be protecting them. And in other way, as me as uh, being a Christian, I saw uh, this as, as just something so wrong that how can, how can as a country we come to do something like this to other people as well? And uh, just God doesn't allow such things to be happening. I mean, we should, as Christian and uh, 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 people who... Who know God? We should be receptive. To, we should be receptive to these people. We should love them, not treat them as strangers. Yeah, and you were you were making some links for me earlier, kind of thinking about Ubuntu and Christian teaching, and they're coming together around this idea of how one should deal with strangers. Do you want to just tease that out a little bit for us? Yes, like you know, over the years when we were growing up, we are told about. Uh, um, to love your neighbor as you love yourself. And we have been told about uh, the spirit of Ubuntu, the spirit of Ubuntu, which is, uh, is uh, a quote that says, you know, as uh, you are who you are because of the interaction that you have with the people around you. So uh, in that manner, I come to see that uh, uh, such things, like the quotes that uh, should be met, should matter in our lives as South Africans, as Africans, uh, uh, they are lose, starting to lose. Uh, uh, they are starting to lose their meaning. Looking at what is happening in our country, 
you know, we should uh, be loving as uh, uh, as a country. We should uh, open up to the people who are in need, considering that uh, these people coming from other countries, they come here because they are running away from uh, things that are happening in, our, in their countries. Obviously, there are bad situations happening that side. But then we here coming here in South Africa, and we are treating them all badly, and we are killing them and all that. Obviously, we're not loving them. We are killing it. So it's like we are not doing what we're supposed to do as a country. And this makes us uh, be, it, it's sort of like we are we are making enemies with other countries as well, while we're supposed to be neighbor, neighbors with them. So just, just tease that out a little. You were, you were also talking a bit about consequences, that, that if we in South Africa are xenophobic um, and we are... are unkind, we are violent towards people from other African countries, and that has consequences for South Africans as well. Yes, it does has consequences. Uh, looking at us, uh, South Africa, rec uh, recently there have been um, reports that were reported about um, neighboring countries uh, cancelling their contracts and not willing to do business with South Africa anymore because of the xenophobia that is going on. You know, we South Africans, we like uh, ruining our own economic uh, levels as well because now uh, the countries outside, even not even talking about even more other countries internationally, not just African countries, you know, they're looking at us and they see this uh, country as a country that is hateful, full of hatred, and uh, the country that kills people, why we should be loving each other. And they're obviously going to refuse to do uh, businesses with us. So as a result, we are not going to uh, uh, grow economically. And uh, that kind of like, it's, it really, it really uh, uh, messes up with the, with the issues of unemployment and uh, more, more things that are happening in our country. So there's a, a strong narrative. I mean, when I when I listen to people kind of at grassroots level when I'm sitting doing parish retreats or whatever, there's a very strong narrative around foreigners coming and stealing our jobs and foreigners coming and uh, stealing our women is the other one. I always like that one as a woman. I always think, really, women or property, but never mind. That's a topic for another day. Um, but... I think, and, and I think there's something for me, you know, I look at political leaders when they're under pressure, quite often pick up this narrative as well. So we'll, we'll hear people like the, the Zulu King making quite xenophobic statements about what foreigners may or may not be doing, which then leads to more xenophobic violence. And so there's something for me also about scapegoating, you know, that, that people who don't have a right to vote... Um, that's the link that I have in my mind. The people who don't have a right to vote because they're not citizens of the country, therefore also are not protected in some way by the politicians who are always looking for who's going to vote me in come the next elections. Mm -hmm. And that they're, and I, just any thoughts around that, just that kind of thought around, you know, our, our government is under pressure, and it seems to me there's a bit of scapegoating going on around the role of foreigners in the crisis in the country. Um, what I see happening in our country is I see South Africans uh, is like they're trying to shift the blame of what's happening in our country to uh, to this foreigner nationals, uh, saying that okay we can't turn the blind eye that they are criminals, but then they, it's not all of them who are criminals. There are those who are working and making their uh, clean living, you know. And then uh, 
we find that uh, because the government is not helping in any way, helping uh, to create job opportunities, and uh, we find that they're shifting the blame from that, from themselves, and now they're, they're starting to blame the, the foreigners for being... Uh, um, for for conducting uh, these crimes that are happening within within the communities, I think um, with this is just us just trying to shift our mind from exactly what's happening to something else because it's not just about the crime that is happening; it's about there are more things that are happening. I mean. Obviously, if I'm not working, sitting at home, and uh, I watch the news every day, and I see that uh, there are political corruptions happening everywhere in the country, obviously, I'm going to have to try to do something for myself. So, uh, for more people, unfortunately, crime is just something that is more close to them. And yeah. seeing that, uh, you go to places like the townships, you don't see the Nigerians like they say that Nigerians are the ones who are selling the drugs. You don't see them selling the drugs. It's us South Africans who are selling the, bringing the drugs to the streets. So there's a real sense there what you're saying is quite a lot of this is about perception. Yes. And it's about a perception, you know, and, and you know, it's just, it sounds a lot, a lot, it sounds to me a lot like what went on under apartheid, huh? Okay. <laughs> Under apartheid, what happened? White South Africans projected all the stuff they didn't like about themselves onto black South Africans. That's what happened, you yes. know, if we're being honest. Mm. What's happening now? The same thing. We South Africans, now we're all South African, rainbow nation, oh, but we don't like anybody from anywhere else. We'll project all our stuff onto other people. Yes. And, and it's that same pattern of I don't want to deal with, with what's wrong in my own house. I don't want to deal with what's wrong in my own heart. So I say it's your fault. Mm. So, you know, if we think about that, we just were to, to, to ponder for a moment or two, what guidelines does, does the church, does the gospels give us? Where do we go to from here? And I, I love that, um, that passage from Mark that you chose uh, to, to sit with. And perhaps if you, just, if you just want to take us back to that passage and just remind us what Mark says in, in, in the gospels about the appropriate way to be with other people uh the, the the gospel teaches us to love you know because love is something that is so big in my understanding i understand that if you love someone you wouldn't hurt them if you mm. love someone you wouldn't do something that will uh maybe put them in the in a situation where they hurt themselves you know, love is, is is something that we should all have and then we should be, then if we have love for each other, such things will not be happening. But then um, looking at uh, what the word says, uh, in uh, uh, more scriptures that we see, we see, uh, um, for example, Exodus, where uh, Jesus says something about uh, we were strangers as well. You know, we are taken from the land of Egypt and uh, us being in, in there, we know how it feels like to be strangers. We know how it feels like to be uh, uh, foreigners. So as South Africans, as well, reflecting to what we come from as a nation, uh, the apartheid regime, most of South Africans and uh, political activists, we ran from our own country to find shelter in their countries. So uh, this scripture always has, it, it, it reflects to us as well that we should treat them well because we know that the pain they are having as well, you know, as, not, as we 
were having the same pain back then. We we went there. They took care of us. They 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 they, they protected us. And just to say that you know the Bible talks about um, when Jesus say, uh, "I was hungry, you didn't feed me, and uh, I was um, homeless, and you didn't invite me, you didn't welcome me, and such things." They are very important. That you know. Uh, Jesus really cares about the refugees. He really loves them. So who are we to be hating and killing them? Wow, I think that's very clear. So on that note, we're going to say thank you, Pam, very much. Thanks for all the scriptures and for the thoughts. And we're going to move to our second piece of music. We're going to be listening to one of the Psalms from the Carmelite Sisters in Benoni. So there we were listening to the Carmelites singing the Psalms. And of course, all of the music that we listen to from the Carmelite Sisters, our own Carmelite Sisters here in Benoni, that's written by the sisters, by the community, and played very beautifully. They have the Senegalese harp and just very, very beautiful liturgy. If you're looking for beautiful liturgy, if, if, if the ascetic part of the liturgy appeals to you, then I can think of no place in the country that has a more... Uh, profoundly contemplative service than the Carmelites in Benoni. And of course this year, again, as we did last year, the Jesuit Institute are teaming up with the Carmelites. We are going there for Easter and from Thursday afternoon right up until Easter Sunday morning, we're offering a Tridium retreat. So you can celebrate the Tridium, celebrate the, the great feasts of Maundy Thursday, Good Friday, Holy Saturday, and Easter Sunday morning in a deeply spiritual, deeply contemplative way. And the liturgies will be in the Carmelite Church. The Carmelites will, will run the liturgy, and uh, Father Russell Pollitt will run the retreat with Dr. Anne-Marie Paul and Campbell. And they'll really give the retreat will help people to enter more deeply into the mysteries of Easter. So if you're interested in that retreat, you may want to contact the Jesuit Institute. You can write to us, lent at jesuitinstitute.org.za. So we're coming towards the end of today's show. I want to thank you all for listening in and being with us as we've gone along today and uh, listened to Anthony and to Pam from the Institute And just to take a moment or two before we come to the very end of the show to think about um, that passage from Mark 12 where Jesus talks about how we are called to love, how we are called to love our neighbor as ourselves. In the spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius, Ignatius says that one of the ways that we are asked to pray is with the intellect. And he talks about meditation, meditating. This is the old English word, meditation uh, in the Catholic context and Christian context, obviously uh, deriving from the Latin to think upon. So when I'm talking about meditation, I'm not talking about kind of new age approach to prayer where you're sitting and and, and clearing your mind, but rather here where you are applying the intellect. And Ignatius says we apply the intellect with love. I contemplate this truth. I contemplate this truth in love. And as I contemplate this truth in love, I allow it to, to really sink into the marrow of my bones, to sink into the core of my heart, and I let it resonate there. And so we're going to listen to our uh, lovely, the lovely music of um, Marikoni. We're going to listen to that. And as we listen to it, I'm going to read this passage to you gently and invite you to, to meditate on it, to, 
to listen to it, to contemplate it with love, to ask God for the grace to really let this passage speak into my heart this Lent so that everything that I hear, see, do and say may reflect it. From Mark 12, verses 29 to 31. Then Jesus said, This is the most important commandment. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second commandment is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. And so we ask God for the grace to hear these two commandments resonating in our hearts and in our minds as we enter into this week of Lent. And I want to thank Pamela, who both spoke on the show and also helped produce it, and Kenny, who was operating the sound desk, and invite you all to really have a deep and blessed Lenten week. We ask this, trusting in God's grace. Amen. <laughs>